Hello and welcome to the Tom March Podcast. This is where I interview individuals who have made a successful career within the music industry uh, and aim to find out how they got to where they are and if they have any tips or advice that they can give to musicians at any level at any stage of their own careers. In this episode, I talk with Jason Rebello on Twitter at Jas Rebello, spelled J-A-S-R-E-B-E-L-L-O, who is an amazing pianist, most likely known for his original jazz albums, but he has also had a career working with many other household names across all genres. Jason released his first album, A Clearer View, when he was 20, after being signed by Wayne Shorter to BMG Records, and has since then released a further seven albums, working with the likes of Troy Miller, Pino Palladino, Jeremy Stacey, Tim Garland, and Jacob Collier, among others. As well as his solo career, Jason toured with Sting for six years and played on three of his albums before then joining Jeff Beck's band for another six years of touring and another three albums. Throughout this time, Jason worked alongside the likes of Shaka Khan, Phil Collins, and Peter Gabriel, as well as many other household names. Jason now teaches at several universities and works on his Jazz Rainbow project for helping children's development through music. In this episode, we talk about the dirty work of practice, how to lose yourself in music, having a positive mindset, Jason's two golden rules, and much more. For me personally, this uh, discussion was a real wake-up call in regards to the bigger picture of playing music and the focus of why musicians choose the life they do. So I'm really pleased to share this with you, and I hope you also get something out of this talk with Jason Rebello. Do you mind if we start right back at the beginning? So at my like, birth. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I mean, so where are you, where are you from originally? I was born in Carshalton. Right. Sorry. Okay. Which is sort of um, kind of south west of London. Yeah. And how did you first uh, get involved with anything musical? Well, we had a piano at home. Well, there were two things. We had a piano that I think was from my grandmother. Um, right. And used to play that, and also, my mum and dad had an old record player. It was a Bush record player. When in those days they used to be, it was like in a kind of box, and we actually played. You know, it was records, um, and I used to listen to music on that whenever I could. I really loved listening to music. So I think, you know, probably from age three or something. I, you know, immediately connected with music. Wow. And that was um, all the music from your, your parents' collection? Yeah. So yeah, what kind they, of things were you listening to? There were, well, actually, what happened, I think, because I listened to music so much, I think for my, one of my birthdays, you know, when I was young, mm. my mum and dad bought me a whole load of albums from an auction. I think there was about 50 albums they bought me. Oh, wow. So it was things, I mean, I remember I really loved Jimi Hendrix for some reason. I was really, really like that. Um, and there was Rolling Stones, I remember, and there was Bo Diddley and Manfred Mann. Oh, wow. They're probably groups, yeah. 
and this was in the you know this was at like you know early seventies. Sure. Um, and I just remember, yeah, I, I just loved listening to those records, and it just and David Bowie. I had a, I had Hunky Dory. Mm. I think mum. I think that was from my mum probably because she liked David Bowie, but I. I loved listening to that and there was something about just listening to music. It sort of, it kind of, um, took me somewhere, you know, it sort of, um, it told a story that I got involved with, if you like, you know, it really fascinated me. Sure. So you were instantly kind of drawn to music Mm. from, from the off. There was no no other kind of path. Well, I mean, I liked other things. I liked football and, all sorts of things but mm. I think yeah I think music it was sort of it felt like an old friend almost you right. know mm. yeah so when did you start playing piano was that for did you get lessons on piano well I, yeah, I used to play the piano just you know by my just naturally and improvise and make up things but I and I had lessons one of my dad's friends taught me when I was about four, maybe for about a year or something. Mm. And I always remember that um, he showed me, he played Match of the Day, the theme tune to Match of the Day. And that really um, blew my mind, you know, that I because rec- I recognised it from the TV. Right. And hearing him play it and sort of realising that you could actually play things from the TV you know, on the piano, really, yeah. it just appealed to me. And um, so I, 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 you know, I had a great time learning with him and then those lessons stopped. And then I started again, I think probably when I was seven, maybe seven or eight, and I had classical lessons. Okay. So classical training was the first kind of, was it the first well, it, intense it, period or were you still doing all the other things like playing, playing around outside the lessons as well well i think i yeah i think i used to make up my own music anyway Mm. um but in those days there was only really you know i i i only really knew if there was only classical lessons that were available i mean maybe there were there must have been people teaching jazz but it wasn't really you know it wasn't in the education system at all right so that was just the accepted kind of route of learning yeah yeah, and I had and I had a couple, you know, I had a couple of great piano teachers, um, and you know, I learned I learned through the classical route, and then I suppose I must have been about thirteen or fourteen at secondary school, mm-hmm. and I had a music teacher that was really into Dave Brubeck, right, and so he used to play this music, you know, Dave Brubeck, and. I, you know, immediately I just thought, oh, this is fantastic because I suppose because I'd had that inclination to improvise and this was a sort of a, I guess this was a, you know, a kind of, um, it was a music where I could actually improvise as well. And that really appealed to me. And I met, when I was at school, I met a, who's a good friend of mine now, who's a great saxophone player called Patrick Clahar. Mm. And he introduced me to loads of music. And one of the people he introduced me to was Herbie Hancock. Right. And I loved that. And I went to see Herbie Hancock when I was about 15. With He was with the Rocket Band. Oh. And it was at the Smith Odeon. And I think seeing that 
and seeing him play there, that was sort of sealed my fate in a way because I was so blown away by that concert. I just thought, well, this is whatever that, whatever I've just seen, I want to be part of it. That's what I, right. that's how I felt. So it's a bit, it was kind of inevitable from there. Yeah, and I think, I think in, you know, a lot of ways for, for us musicians, I have this, um, well, I'm pretty sure that the reason that we end up doing something like music is at some point, either playing or listening, we've had one of those moments where we're just completely moved by it. Mm. And I think in, in a lot of ways, it's those moments that fuels our um, desire, if you like, to do it more. Yeah. And to get better at it. And I think I think it's probably true to say that, well, I'm sure everyone actually who's doing this, you know, seriously, if you look back, you'll have had some kind of moment like that that's really, you know... Um, changed the way that you see music mm, yeah for sure mm. have you have you had many of them um at various points in your career in terms of like changing the way that you perceive certain types of music or anything like that like or performance or while you're performing as well yeah i think lot you know lots of there's lots of moments where you're just you know for some reason you're you're watching something and you just have this sense that um, it's just a wonderful thing that you're experiencing and you kind of lose yourself in it. Mm. And I think, you know, I mean, definitely as players, we're kind of searching for that sense of losing ourselves when we play. And we do all sorts of practice and learn scales and all those things. But actually, when you're performing when you when you're kind of, kind of when you've lost yourself in the music in other words when it's really you have the feeling that you're just part of the music happening that's a wonderful place to be in and and that's really what we're looking for mm, absolutely you know whether we consciously know that or not that's you know if you come off the gig and go wow that was an amazing gig it's because you were you were kind of lost in the music yeah, uh, this this concept it seems to come up a, a lot and everybody um, is aware of it, I think, when they go to education. is that whole thing of, you know, you, you learn all this stuff and you, mm. you go into loads of detail about whatever you're learning and really understanding your craft. And then all with the aim of when you get to performing that you are not you're you're not thinking about that at all. And it's all subconscious. Um, mm. Do you feel that? So all that kind of stuff, like the scales and everything that you were talking about, mm. all that kind of the, the kind of nitty gritty, dirty work. Do you, mm. How important do you feel that is to kind of? Do you still sustain doing some of that, or do you get to a point in your career where you kind of think I've done enough of that now, and I'm kind of I've got it all there, or do, do you think it's something that you need to continually like keep keep up as you're a bit like kind of working out or something? Something you need to constantly mm. do. Yeah, it, it is. It's something you have to constantly do, and it's something that you constantly learn new things about. Well, and, and you know, if you want it, the whole thing to be interesting, you kind of need to learn some new things, mm. so that playing develops and you go in different areas, and it's healthy. And, and you know, in, in a sense, all that stuff. I mean, I still practice my scales, and 
you know technique and 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 practicing you know different chord sequence i mean there's so many things technical things like that that you can practice and it never ends you never really mm. you know you never get to you never finish that because it's endless i mean there's always things you can't do there's always things you can improve on and and you know this thing about losing yourself in the music you can only really do that if you're prepared for the piece that you're playing right you know so if you're playing a piece that's difficult and you haven't really practiced it, then, I mean, you can lose yourself in it, but it's probably it's probably not going to sound that great. Right. <laughs> you know, so it's, it's, you know, you kind of need... Um, you need to have the tools to do the job that you're going to do. And you can't get around that and go, well, I'll just lose myself in it because you don't have those those tools in place then um you know you're just not going to be able to be coherent yeah absolutely so um, you have to you know the, the work site you know you have to keep working it and, and you're i think you're exactly right it is like a sport in one sense i mean definitely physically but also mentally mm. you know you need to keep those um muscles if you like working you know you need to if you want to be um, comfortable when you're playing, but but that but but it's it's to me that all those things, as important as they are, if when you're playing, you don't let go of all that side of your you know psyche, if you like the side that's trying to get things right and work things out. If you don't kind of let go of that, then the true magic of the music can't really surface you know so I, I think when you perform it's really important to forget about everything that you've been practicing because it's too late now mm. you know you, you've got what you've you've done the preparation that you've done so it, it's too late you've got to now just let whatever's going to be express itself you know without trying to get it right yeah i i saw you did um i watched the, the ted talk that you did and i think you talked a bit about the kind of the, the breaking down of the mental barriers for people in the whole improvising setting mm. um and i'm sure that relates to the performance side of things like you're just talking about then do you have have you thought about and kind of do you have any sort of process or anything that you do mentally that helps you um either stay stay focused when you're practicing or when you're on like a, a big gig or something and you mm. to to kind of keep yourself in that comfortable let yourself relax and just let it all yeah. out kind of state well i mean I, I you know i i i try and prepare if i can which i usually can mm. i pre prepare for whatever gig is coming up so that will mean you know maybe a few days of you know making sure i'm doing some technique stuff and some studies and scales and things like that metronome practice so i'll do a few days of that so the preparation i'll i'll look at the pieces that i'm going to play and make sure that they're comfortable or you know maybe work a bit at some new ideas on things mm. so so basically it means i've i go into the the gig usually knowing 
that I've done some preparation for it, you know, and that on on its own, that knowledge that I've actually have put some time into it gives me a sense of confidence. It's like, well, good, okay, I'm I'm prepared. You still can't control how it's going to go, mm. and to some extent, it's healthy to not worry about that. And it, it doesn't matter if things go wrong, but if you know that you've put in the work before, then it gives you, you know, you feel. Um, that you haven't shortchanged the audience, you know, you feel like you've done your bit. Yeah, absolutely. That really is one of the factors, that's an important factor, I think, into sort of letting go of it all. Um, and then the other thing that um, I think is really useful just to have in the back of your mind, and I, this is my sort of little... <laughs> um, quote I suppose you'd call it anecdote I don't know what you'd call it but my my take on it is that you see if you, if you go into a gig and you're thinking I want to impress people I want to do this you know this thing right I want to nail this and um that kind of thinking is not really much fun yeah absolutely it's not, it's not very enjoyable that that met that sort of mode of looking at it it's like it because the whole thing is like a problem that you've got to kind of it's like an exam you mm. know and that's not really that enjoyable whereas approaching the thing with a sense of fun because that's why we all got into music in the first place and that's why people listen to it it's joy you know it's fun it's that very human childlike quality if you like and if if you go into your performance with that attitude of I just really want to enjoy this as much as I can. I really want to enjoy listening to the other people in the band and I want to enjoy being part of it and playing. And you make that your priority rather than getting things right or impressing people or, you know, just the, 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 the pure enjoyment of it. Then one, you know, if, if you've, been in a room performing you know at the end of the performance that at least one person has enjoyed it <laughs> yeah that's a really good way of looking at it actually yeah and then and then you know usually the way it seems to work is if the performer's really enjoying themselves then the audience is mm. whereas if the performer's not enjoying it because they're putting pressure on them and expecting things of them that are not going to happen mm. then they're not enjoying it and, and actually the audience generally picks up on that <laughs> yeah know. absolutely I feel like a lot of people um especially when they're in education because they are in sort of false situations of when they perform they are kind of being assessed mm. um I'm sure a lot of people do fall in un I've definitely experienced it as well you thought you do fall into that negative mindset of uh seeing it like a problem um mm. did you did you have um after you finished school, did you go into higher education of music? Yeah, I went to the Guildhall. Right. In fact, one of the first, I think maybe the first, like, three-year jazz course. Okay. There with a trumpet player called Paul Edmonds. Me and him um, were sort of the guinea pigs. And then after that, all the other colleges, you know, started doing oh, three right. Okay. Um, did you get any of that sort of, when you were younger, any of that kind of realising that you were in a bad headspace or did you always just naturally 
want to do it for the music and want to enjoy it? I think it's probably much like anyone. It's a mixture of the two things. You know, I mean, I think part of the, if you like, the school of being a jazz musician, you know, you can call it a, a kind of school. Mm. Part of the what you're learning is how to be more in the enjoyment headspace more of the time and less in the self-conscious, you know, sort of ego agenda. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, and, and I think for most people, you know, when you start, when you're starting out, you know, I don't know, maybe it's like 50-50. Mm. But, but gradually as you as you do it more, you start to learn that actually the the mode of trying to impress people or, you know, trying to get something out of it, you know, there's like an ulterior motive or an agenda behind it, that tends to, um, one, well, it makes the whole experience of playing not much fun and it doesn't really make the playing be as good as it can be you know so you start to learn that that kind of thinking is not really worth pursuing or taking too seriously and you gradually learn to kind of let go of that of those agendas and you know usually you find when someone's been doing it for like 30 years you listen to their playing and there's often a real sense of joy in it and the kind of naturalness and you can hear there's less self-consciousness in it you know because you've learned that slowly you've learned that lesson mm. so it's more of you think it's more of an experience thing of just kind of the more you do it the uh, the easier it will get to tune out all that negative stuff well i think you know i mean personally speaking i just find being aware of that when that thinking comes in, it's being aware that you have a choice to either act on that thinking. So if, if you say, let's say something goes wrong when you're playing, mm. or, it, you know, at least it doesn't go how you'd hoped it would go, which, I mean, let's be honest, that happens, well, it happens, you yeah. know, to personally, it happens all the time. You know, it's such a common thing. It's, you know, it happens, you know, so much. Mm. When that does happen, there's often like a, a feeling of, you know, an unpleasant feeling arises, a sense of fear maybe or panic or like, oh, or annoyance with yourself or, yeah. you know. But you have a choice what how you choose to respond to that when that happens. I mean, it's very quick. Mm. You do have a choice. And sometimes if things are not going well, the response might be, right, well, I'm going to really nail this. Come on, come on, you know, mm. get this together. Come on, you know. So you put more effort in to try and um, give yourself a feeling that you're doing it right, you know, you're on top of it. Yeah. But you don't have to do that. You know, you don't have to try and salvage it. You can kind of stay with the with that feeling of it not going as, as you'd hoped but stay with the music and then see where that can lead you so in other words in, in other words if you make a, a mistake in quotes a mistake mm. you can choose 
to respond to that in two ways. You can either um, panic and go back to what you know, you know, do a lick that you know, or, you know, salvage the situation, sound good in quotes again. Yeah. Or you can take the mistake in quotes and see where that leads and use, the, you know, let the mistake be part of the improvisation and to let that dictate where you're going. So you'll know you're not really judging your playing at that point. You're, you're accepting what you've done and seeing where that will lead. And that approach is so much more satisfying and fun and exciting than reverting back to what your security, what you know, so that because you know you can sound good. Mm. Um, and I, I think I think I must have been sort of twenty seven or twenty eight when I consciously sort of said to myself, right, I'm not going to sell out because to me that's kind of selling out when you panic and then try and do your stuff. Yeah you've practiced and before you know that's kind of I don't think that's very satisfying I think you get to the end of a gig if you've done that a lot and there's a feeling of well I don't know that didn't feel quite right mm. that. so when I was about 27 or 28 I remember making a conscious decision to say I'm not gonna do that if things are going if I perceive things to not be going well I'm gonna consciously let it be a bit messy or you know that feeling that it's not coming together it's just let that be there and trust the music and see where it leads stay receptive listen but don't put my own agenda on it yeah and what i found is that i could you know like do a whole concert and the feeling at the end of it i'd feel really like satisfied with it it just felt really honest and musical and you know yeah it had a you know it had a really enjoyable f- flavor to it and and i suppose from that point i sort of realized actually that's really what i should be aiming for right. when i say that's actually the, the important element in all this yeah it sounds like a very uh, kind of a very brave and honest way of doing it and being very sounds like you're being very self-aware and that that whole approach of being honest and everything um and that that's the performing side of it and you've done you've done a lot of compositions and released a lot of albums and things as well do you have a similar approach to when you're composing as well um well it's slightly different i i I found it slightly different composing because you don't have that you know, the thing about improvising is it's very sort of real time, isn't it? So, mm. you, you know, if you have if you make a mistake <laughs> when you're composing, I mean, you have unlimited time to, um, you know, decide what you want. There's no pressure in that way. I think, you know, I think I find composing the biggest ob- obstacle with writing is that, you know, we've all heard so many great, composers and you know compositions and we can sort of compare what we're doing with our ideals Mm. and I think my feeling with that is that's probably the biggest obstacle to composing is that your expectations of what you're able to do are way higher than your experience and where you're at you know so then you can kind of 
you know, write off what you're doing as not being good enough and maybe even, you know, give up on it because you're not feeling it's as good as you'd like it to be. Sure. But, I mean, you started composing when you were when you were quite young. Um, yeah. So did you were you always drawn towards composing and feeling like you wanted to produce something of your own? You know what, I thought, I, I'm not really, I don't really feel like a natural composer. So I, I, it's something that I've, I mean, it's something I've wanted to do, but it's something that I, it doesn't come that easily. That's really interesting you say that, having <laughs> having the, the collection of albums that you do. And especially because yeah. you, cause you did it um, so young as well, when you got, you got signed so young to do yeah. stuff. And that was kind of your first... I don't know. Did you see that? That that was, seems to be like your first um, experience of, of coming out professionally from that age. I don't know whether you'd done anything before that, um, but it was all kind of stamped under your name. Yeah, that's, well, that's I, interesting. You say that. Yeah, I, I mean, I I didn't when I got um, I got a you know an, a record deal when I was I suppose I must have been about twenty. Mm. And I sort of actually, I said, I need another year because I don't, you know, I wanted to have something, I wanted to record something that I felt was, you know, a contribution. Sure. To You know, I wanted to do something original and write some tunes. So I sort of spent a year writing the first album, which was called A Clear Review. Yeah. And sort of recorded it a year later. But... Um, yeah, I, I just do find. I think it's partly because I'm a bit impatient, um, and composing needs a lot of patience and kind of. Um, it's quite solitary, and you have to just be, you have to sort of kind of well, you have to lose yourself in that as well in a different way, mm. and it has to become enjoyable. I think if you're going to sort of do a lot of composing absolutely do you have a process that you kind of go through or has that kind of changed as you've gone through your career well what i i think what i find now is i find it a bit easier but in the sense that i've sort of realized it's a thing that you can really only learn about it by writing pieces you know you just have to keep doing it and each time you do it, if you're, if you pay attention to what you like in it, what works in it, what doesn't, um, you know, you do learn from that process. You learn naturally, right? And you know, and there's no shortcut to that. You know, so at the moment, I'm, I'm trying to learn a bit about arranging, and which I haven't done that much of, you know, big band arranging and orchestral arrange, you know, mm. orchestration things. And again, it's that sort of, you know, it's that process of just of just doing it and accepting that the one that you're doing at the moment, you know, it might not be the groundbreaking, revolutionary, you know, piece that you'd like it to be, but you'll learn from it and it will have good things and bad things and it's fine, you know, and it's fine just to be in that process and accept, you know, your limitations and then find out from your mistakes, if you like, the things that you need to learn about. So, you know, you might try something in a composition and then 
you you know you play it and you think to yourself you know you know what it's not quite what i wanted and then you might think well what did i actually want oh yes i was going for something you know that i'd heard i don't know pat Metheny do or mm. duke ellington do and and then you might go okay well i need to research this a bit more i need to find out exactly what they did because i want to have a similar effect in my music so then you have to you know transcribe a bit and right so it's your, a whole whole load of a long process of learning so you, you're yeah. saying you kind of compose for the sake of composing like not everything that you compose is something that you're going to put on a record well i i find in the sort of bigger picture of my life now is that circumstances often prompt me especially with composing and to practice to a certain extent i'm I'm a you know i don't necessarily (laughs) if it's a sunny day and you know the garden looks nice i don't necessarily think i must go in and do loads of practice or i must write something you know Mm. but if i have a concert coming up or someone's asked me to write a piece for for something then that necessity will help me go in there and actually get down to work. So I, you know, I personally is I need, I need some kind of, um, you know, reason to do it. And that's when I said, I'm not really a natural composer. I mean, I know people that just love writing music and they'll just, you know, if it's sunny, (laughs) if it's a sunny day and they look in the garden, they'll just think I'd rather be in writing music. (laughs) So that's what I meant, you know, so most of the, you know, the truth is a lot of the music, probably most of the music I do now is prompted by the need to do it, you know, and that might, that's partly financial or, you know, whatever situation I'm going into or, you know, lots Mm. of reasons, but. Some sort of external accountability. Yeah, yeah, because I, you know, I mean, you know, to me, my life isn't, you know, music's part of my life. It's not like, it's not the most important thing. It's it's one of the things that, I mean, it's important to me, but it's it's one of the things that's important. And there are other things too. So I find more that, you know, the music is, it's sort of quite, you know, in, in a way, it's very interlinked with the other aspects of my life, and it, and it's influenced by them mm. to the point of, you know, say I'm doing a, a concert with a particular style of music, or you know, I might spend a bit of time so that I can do that gig well or as well as I can. I might spend a bit of time researching something that I wouldn't probably would not have researched unless I'd had that particular gig. Mm, yeah and so that means that if i you know do some transcribing or checks you know checking some things out that is now going to affect my playing sure composing you know everything yeah well i guess that you that kind of probably helps that you've done such a varied amount of things as well then because i guess as you've progressed you've your knowledge has has widened if you had that approach to all of the gigs that you did yeah, and I, you know, I think, I think this is a thing where it's not like there's a right way to approach it. I think 
you know, if you look at this sort of on the spectrum, if you like, of um, like, but you know, personally, I'm, I would see myself as quite a fairly adaptable musician. So I can go into different situations and have, you know, a reasonable idea of what will make that particular style or genre sound good, you know. Mm, absolutely. I bring my own thing to it as well. But so I'm that sort of musician because I've, I've just always been interested in different ways of approaching music. You know, I, it fascinates me why one, you know, one particular style or genre has certain priorities and demands that may be very different in another style so that that that's all I've always found that really interesting but you know on the other side of the spectrum if you like of of, of playing there are players that are not very adaptable but they have their own thing or their own style that's so unique because they've really spent their time to develop that that they are the innovators if you like Mm, absolutely. You know what I mean? So, and I don't think there's anything, it's it's kind of whichever you feel is your place on that spectrum. So there's nothing wrong with that. And, it, and but, but, but both approaches have their disadvantages and advantages, you know, and that's kind of everyone makes their own decision. Mm. So it's more that. about kind of knowing what you're drawn to, I guess. Well, I, generally, I, I just think, you know, follow follow what what interests and excites you you know don't do things because you think you should you know mm. and even but even you know I've been in situations where I might have been playing a style of music that I didn't naturally have an affinity with so I've kind of been a bit disciplined with myself and said well all right this there must be there must be something good in this music because loads of people love it yeah so what is that? What, what what am I missing? So you can kind of train yourself to like and understand things that you didn't necessarily like before. So it's not, you know, it's not necessarily always about just going with what you like. Sometimes you can you like something that you didn't like mm, yeah. by understanding it, by changing the way you look at it, you know, and finding why this music is important to people, you know, because then the nice thing is if you get it, if you understand why it is, um, you've broadened your horizons, you know, now you can enjoy something that previously didn't really do it for you. So it's quite, you know, I think the whole thing is quite open, really. Yeah, absolutely. Other possibilities. I think it's probably the, uh, one of the, like you say, most enjoyable ways to experience music but then other people like you say they have just their own individual thing um, mm. and, and so in your experience have you found that you've worked with more people who are open or more people who are kind of very um, kind of one road well I think the the truth is is that the solo artists are the ones that have done their own thing on the whole mm. You know, and that's part of the reason they're leaders and they're, you know, out on their own. You know, often they they wouldn't be very good session musicians. Yeah. You know, and usually session musicians don't lead and or do their own thing because they their priority is not to have their own unique voice. Mm. You know, that's their priority. So. 
you know, it, you kind of need both. And, uh, I, you know, most of the people that, I, as, that I've worked for when they've been leaders are, what, <laughs> you know, they're people that have their, you know, original voice. You know, like, I, you know, I toured with Sting for five years mm. and I toured with Jeff Beck for about six years. Yeah. And both of those people have a very unique thing, you know, that they wouldn't necessarily be great session musicians. Yeah, absolutely. Wouldn't necessarily be their forte, but what their forte is is they have a they brought a very unique, original, you know, thing to music. Mm. So, why do you think that? Do you think that all of those solo artists they they prefer to have members of their band like yourself who have are open to everything even though it's a very specific style of music or um i mean so how how did how do you think how did you, all of those kind of gigs come about for you well i think see i think what i'm quite good at doing is sort of understanding the style of the music that i'm playing in and sort of understanding the boundaries of that so what is going to sound good in this within these boundaries mm. and then you know contributing something because because you know if you're leading a band you want people to understand what where you're coming from and the things that are important about that style or way of playing mm. the things that are vital to that to make that style work but you do want people to bring surprises to it as well yeah you know so you kind of want a combination of those two things if you're leading a band you don't want somebody that says no i do it this way and sorry that's not how i play because it's that's not going to work so you'd, you'd have to go all right well fine you play how you want to play but it doesn't really work for what i'm trying to do and we'll have to part company you know so mm. you want you want that balance, really, of people that are sympathetic to what is important to you in your music, but also can bring something new to it. Yeah, that works, you know. Yeah, because you've had experience of yourself of um, uh, touring as as the the artist, I guess you could say. Mm. Um, so, I mean, when you were doing that and putting bands together for when you were spending your years as as the frontman. Um, mm. Like what kind what, what kind of things would you look for in musicians? Would it be to do with like you knew them quite well previously as friends as well as um, having all the, the musical aspects that you would look for? Well, I think I don't really I don't really separate those things out because they all kind of you know, they all, it all makes a difference. I mean, mm. I don't think you can really play as a band and communicate. Well, it's difficult to communicate and play well as a band together if no one likes each other. Mm. Oh, absolutely. You know, so it's, you know, and also if, if you're travelling with someone a lot and they're really difficult to get on with, you know, it's your preference may not be to use them, even though they might be brilliant individual players. Mm. Um, 
so I mean for me it's always been a balance of the two things you know and you want people to you know you want people to like the music that you like because that's informing where your music is coming from and you want them to understand it and if they don't you know you're likely to just want to use someone else absolutely yeah that seems to be a a running thread through everyone that i've talked to so far especially yeah Um, that the the whole personality involving in your playing is such an important factor Mm. um yeah so so everyone so you kind of how did you build up your your kind of i guess your network of of everybody that you knew as a as a young musician how did how did you manage to go out did you just go out and play a lot with everyone well you know what i think i was thinking about this earlier i i think i'd 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 say there's two ingredients. If you know, if you could distill everything down to two ingredients that are, I think are really important mm. in, to you know to succeed, right. <laughs> whatever that means. Um, I'd say one. The first thing is to to never forget that you did you chose to do music because you loved it. Mm. You know the joy of doing it either because what of what you heard made you feel so happy or you know your experiences of playing it so it's never lose sight of that because it never there's never a better reason to do it than that so that's the first thing is so make the music first and that includes your practicing and you know wanting to be play well but just for the sake of doing it well not for any other reasons yeah so always stay in touch with that as soon as you start thinking how am i going to get my network and my career going you're off track because that's no longer about music that's something else isn't it sure yeah absolutely so i that's my my that's the first ingredient is never lose sight of that if you're not enjoying what you're doing then chances are no one else is and you're you know as a musician your worth if you like is is your ability to make people happy Mm. that's kind of what will make you get work yeah you know so that's your that's my first sort of golden rule if you like so never lose touch with that childlike enjoyment of playing or practicing or just music for its own sake Mm. and the other thing that i think is really important is is to treat people well you know treat people kindly you know do things for other people when you can you know be conscientious if you're in a band you know prepare well for what you're doing consider the other musicians you know be on time for things you know, all the obvious things mm. treat people kindly, you know, help other people with their careers, you know, put people, other people first as much as you can. And what you'll find is that your career will, it will work out fine, you know, quite mm. naturally. You, you won't have to go, I must build a network of people. You'll find that you just naturally have a network of people that you like being with because you, um, 
you know, you're you're not trying to you know, you're not using people for your career. You're genuine genuinely liking people, you know, and enjoying their company and Yeah, very honest approach to it. Well well, it kind of is, yeah, it yeah. is, and it's much more enjoyable, you know. Whereas if it's it's like any, you know, as soon as you start thinking of your agenda, mm. my world domination plans, you know, then you start really you're using people for your own ends, and that isn't fun. Mm, absolutely. Whereas to actually just like someone for who they are and enjoy their company, you know. Is is fun? <laughs> it's just really nice, you know. Regardless of whether you get another gig with them or, you know, just to, well, it's just nice to see them. Yeah, you know, and that attitude will ensure that, you know, that your um, musical career will be enjoyable. And you know, and, and you have to accept it's you know, mo- there's so many times that you're career doesn't go the way you're hoping it might go or you expect it to go mm. yeah yeah Part of it is just going well that's fine you know okay i mean there's a, there's a good joke how do you make god laugh right and you're you know you're supposed to say how oh sorry <laughs> how <laughs> and then and the answer is tell him your plans or her <laughs> oh right <laughs> yeah so that but that you know i think that sort of you know that puts it really well you don't really know you don't know how your life is supposed to be really it's kind of it does its own thing it's it's how it is and mm. the more that you can accept that the happier you'll be because yeah. you're not fighting it you know you're just trusting it if if if, if the you know if you go through a quiet patch and the phone's not ringing don't start panicking and going oh no this is terrible it's go right okay if I've got a bit more time, what can I do that's useful? I can practice, I can maybe write some music, I can, you know, there's so many things you can do Mm. that time other than panicking about it because, you know, as we know, it doesn't stay not busy and then the next minute you know you're busy again and then if you haven't used that time to do useful things then you think oh if only I'd done some more practice then I could have done this I could have done that you know yeah yeah so it's just about being adaptable I think and trusting that whatever's happening is Mm. fine you know it's fine it's just it's just it's life just pushing you in in another direction so just accept that yeah you seem to have a very positive outlook on everything, uh, which is really, really great. And so everything you, you kind of has happened in your career, you sounds like you feel like it's just naturally progressed from one thing to another and whatever I direction mean, it's gone in. Yeah, but you've got to, I mean, you have to include all the disappointments and all the, you know, because it's not, I, I don't, where I am now with it, it's only really arrived at through through lots of struggling and you know mm. it's it's mistakes i mean you learn from your mistakes you know when you get when you're not approaching life the right way it's painful mm. it's not fun it's just painful you know and and it's it's really when you're struggling with something it's because you're not seeing things the right way 
So you, you have to learn what things not, you know, the things that you is don't do certain things because they make it um, not enjoyable. So you, you learn through your mistakes, you know. So I do feel quite, opt, you know, it, 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 I do feel positive about it now, but that's that's only through learning mm. and making mistakes and struggling and feeling frustrated and all those things. You know, you have to go through all that. Yeah. So you've, order... you've had experience of uh, of all the all the downs oh, as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's why. I, I mean, I wouldn't say I, I wouldn't say what I'm saying if I hadn't been through it and found a way, you know, to deal with it. Mm. You know, I, 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 you know, if if it was the case that I just when I started playing, I was just happy and enjoyed it and was never selfish about anything, and it's just been a like that since then then I wouldn't really have much to say would I I mean <laughs> yeah I guess not that isn't the case yeah you know you learn through your mistakes you know you learn I mean even calling them mistakes is a bit seems a bit mean because it's not really a mistake it's just that you know you deal with life the way you see things and then experience if you if you pay attention and you're open minded, then experience can teach you to change the way you see things. Mm, absolutely, seeing things, you know. Yeah, you seem very like you're very kind of centered about all this stuff. You've kind of reached a place where you can see the the bigger picture, I guess. Like you're saying, cause you've gone through it all. Um, do you still feel like you're going like down that route and still learning new things about? It's always, all yeah, you're always learning. I mean. You know, one thing I've I've learned is that, you know, my particular musical ability is tiny. It's like, it's like a little drop. Really? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, I watch plays all the time, and I'm astounded by what people can do and that I can't do. And you know, that's got worse. Mm. And it's got worse if you like, because you know, when you're younger you tend to sort of close your mind off to things that you find threatening or you don't understand. So you write things off mm. really because you don't understand it or you don't like it, but you write it off. But then as you get older, you start to open your mind a bit to other things and then you start to realise, wow, this is actually amazing. You know, this this thing that I wrote off is actually full of stuff I don't even... You know, I've done not, I don't understand at all. You know, it's way beyond me. Mm. So, you know, you tend to start to realise that, you know, the whole world of music is vast. You don't really have a hope of kind of, you know, mastering it. Yeah. I, you know, well, I think you said something about your recent solo album, saying that you'd only just felt like you've got to the place where you could you could do a solo album. Well, I mean, yeah, I guess, I mean, I, you know, I, do, I, I could have done one whenever. I mean, it, I just don't really see it as a, you know, me, now, it, whatever I do really is, it, it's a work in progress. This is where I'm at at the moment, you know, and I'll, I'll, I'm doing my best to do it as, as well as I can, but this is it, you know. Yeah, so it's a bit like a, a snapshot of your situation. Exactly, it's yeah. a snapshot. 
and and it's constantly changing and you're constantly learning all the time. I mean, that never ends. You never get to the end of it. And I think maybe that's one of the differences when I was younger. I had this idea that I would get to this place mm. <laughs> where I had everything together and everyone thought I was brilliant and I thought I was brilliant and that's it, done, great. <laughs> I've, arrived. I've arrived there, now I can relax. Yeah. And you just realise that <laughs> that just doesn't exist, you know. Yeah. Just can't, there is no place like that in terms of, you know, in terms of developing skills and learning. I mean, that never ends. So I think, I mean, personally, when I sort of started realising that, because I think when you're younger, you kind of, part of you says, well, I'm not going to enjoy myself and relax Mm. until I've got to this level. So it's just going to be hard work until I get to this level where I've learned everything and then I'll relax and start enjoying my playing. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm being extreme with that, but that's sort of the mindset. And and then gradually you realise, well, actually, I'm never going to get to that point. It's it's infinite. Mm. So maybe I have to have a different approach. Maybe I've got to kind of balance the two things so that I can enjoy myself as I'm going along, wherever I'm at. I can fully enjoy where I'm at at that point, you know, but then still practice and improve. Yeah. Enjoy each part. Enjoy where you're at by accepting that level of skill that you have. Mm, absolutely. So that's, and that comes back to the thing of when you play is enjoy, you know, you're not, you're not going to get better in that concert, you know, you, whatever practice you've done, that's kind of it. You're that's where you're at. You know, it's like, you know, an athlete, and you've been training, you know, to lift a certain weight. You know, you're not going to suddenly be able to lift double that weight because you're a, 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 an event, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very true. You have to accept where you're at, and then if you can do that and accept where you're at whilst you're playing then it can become fun because you're not expecting anything you know you're you're being quite realistic with yourself and then you can enjoy it mm. and then you can actually and that's the thing about music is i think that the real point of music is not your level of skill the real point is what do you communicate as a human being can you you know do, do you communicate something do you move somebody else Mm. that is a, that's not really a skill that's like if you like that's more an honesty that's just being honest mm, for sure yeah you know um and that's something that you can do at any stage of your development you don't have to wait till you you know you've got certain skills under your belt just do it now you know be honest when you play now mm. you don't have to wait you know yeah, I think that's some very good advice for sure. Yeah, I de- I definitely relate to the the younger mindset of kind of thinking thinking there might be some sort of point later on where you can kind of relax, like you said. But um, yeah, no, it's now you've got you've got to do it now. So you have to mm. do the, you have to steadily re- work away at it, realizing that you'll never ever finish it, and then. 
make sure that every time you play, you really enjoy it and love it and you're generous and you enjoy playing with the other people and you listen to them and you, you know, you be part of the band and, you know, all those things. Mm. So it's more enjoying the journey of it rather than trying to get to some sort of destination, (laughs) almost. Yeah, because because there isn't, you know, the, the truth is, is you're either enjoying it or you're not. Mm. There's no there's no journey. There, you know, there's a journey in sense of skills. You know, that you'll be able to do things in ten years that you just can't do now. Mm. As far as enjoying it, that has nothing to do with time. That's just like your choice at that moment, if you like. Yeah. And you know, do, you, do you find that all of the kind of the musicians that you've worked with at um up at up at like kind of the higher levels do you find that they're all a very similar similar mindset to that i think i i could stick my neck out and say that great performers are the ones that can lose themselves when they perform and that's why they're great performers mm. right so yeah. that's that's your experience of everyone mm. yeah yeah absolutely that makes a lot of sense. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, well, great. <laughs> Thank you very much. That's, uh, that's been great. Have you got time for a couple of quick questions before you leave? Yeah. Yeah. Um, have you got any sort of... Um, have you got any sort of recommended gear for any pianists that you think people should <laughs> have? Um, well, I, I don't really... I don't really use keyboards that much nowadays. Um, I mean, I've I've got, I'm not really in it. I don't know enough about what's available, to be honest. I just have a a little mother keyboard and I I use a plug-in called Keyscape, which I quite like. Mm. But, you know, I don't don't know. There's probably loads, but I'm not really up to date with it. Sure, sure. Do you have a do you have a preference of um, of piano make if you go to a concert hall or anything like that? Uh, yeah, I, I like Steinways. They're my favourite. Right. Yeah. Cool. And Yamaha's are, are good are good pianos too. Usually, mm. that's most my favourite. Most comfortable on a Steinway. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, do you have any sort of? It's, it's a very broad question. Do you have any? recommended listening or anything that you particularly personally are enjoying at the moment listening to wow i mean there's so many things mm. you know i mean i've i've always when you know when i started playing jazz i you know i listened to herbie hancock and oscar peterson and dave brubeck i listened to and i listened to miles davis and grover washington and David Sanborn and so I, I very much came from the kind of American mm. jazz tradition so that's my that, and I still enjoy that yeah still sort of feel part of that history you know um, but I mean really I'm, I, I, I think you know listen to what moves you really that's <laughs> it's simple yeah yeah, you know, absolutely. go with what moves you. There's no rules. You can do whatever you want. You know, there's no. You don't have to do anything. 
For sure. Do you, is, you know, is listening still a huge part of like kind of what you do daily? Um, you know what? I don't. No, it's probably not. I don't listen anywhere near as much as I used to because, you know, as I said earlier, music is now is sort of more part of my life rather mm. than the whole of it. So. Um, you know, I mean, when I was younger, I'd spend hours just listening, you know, yeah. but, but because I, that, because not because I felt I had to, I just was obsessed, you know, <laughs> Yeah. but I mean, I, I feel, you know, I'm, I'm not as obsessed now. So if I, I'll go for a walk and I won't listen to music. I'll just go and walk the dog and, you know, mm. look at the countryside or, you know talk to someone on the phone or you know it, do you know what I mean it's like other things yeah yeah for sure yeah balance but it was an important part of when you were growing up oh my god yeah mm. I mean it's just you I mean yeah you listening has to be a huge part of it if you want to understand it of course yeah mm-hmm, for sure mm. yeah so uh are you doing much at the moment that people can hear you or see you play publicly well, I do. Um, I play with a singer called Claire Teal, mm-hmm. and I, I do lots of gigs with her. And I play with a a great saxophone saxophone player called Tim Garland. Yeah. And I also and I work with various people, and I also do some solo concerts, solo piano, and I do some trio concerts of my own. So um, I'm, yeah, I'm doing. I'm I'm gigging quite a lot. Yeah, fairly busy. Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty busy. So, cool. and is the best place for people to find that um, at your website? Is that all the dates and things up there? I never bother updating it, right? But I should really be a bit more. I'm a bit lazy with that, so um, I, I suppose that yeah, I should say yes. Go onto the website, <laughs> then that will make me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, thank you very much, Jason. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure for me as well, uh, hearing everything. Um, yeah, it kind of went a bit more the uh, the general life advice kind of route, but that, I really enjoyed hearing all of yeah. that. Well, I think, I mean, to me, it's kind of probably more important than going, you know, you can do a flat nine, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. On a, you know, because those sort of things... You can learn if you just, you know, if you transcribe and listen to the music, it's all there. You mm. know, well, I think the the sort of underlying approach can be very useful. You know, if you get it right, it can really help everything, you know, with your approach to music. Yeah, yeah. I think that's my feeling on it. No, absolutely, I agree. I mean, a lot of the more experienced musicians that I've talked to with doing this, they... At, at one point or another generally do get to some sort of point beyond talking about all the specifics like that yeah sure. but, you know i think people and people get there because they it dawns on them how important that is you know that's all mm, yeah and how difference it actually does make yeah you well, know but that's, like that, that's not to negate the other the nuts and bolts because you need that too you know you have to study and well, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. there's a bit. Like, there's a concept that I heard from someone. It's um, 
kind of the dirt and the clouds is the way they describe it. So it's a bit like mm. the dirt mm. is all the scales and all the stuff you've got to do. Mm. And then the clouds is kind of like the all the stuff we just talked about. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's good. That's nice, you know, and it's it's the it's the balance of the two. Mm. That that's where the the treasure lies, you know. Yeah, absolutely. After them both. Mm. Well, thank you very much. I'll let you go because uh, you okay, still yeah. have some stuff to do. But I appreciate you spending uh, over an hour with me. So thank you very much. That's all right. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to the Tom Hush podcast. I appreciate you giving the time. I hope you enjoyed the talk with Jason. It was incredibly eye-opening for me. You can find Jason at his website at ccgi.rebello.plus.com forward slash main. That's ccgi.rebello.plus.com forward slash m-a-i-n. Or on Twitter at jasrebello, spelled J-A-S-R-E-B-E-L-L-O to find out more about him and his new album if you want to check out the show notes for this episode you can head over to tomhutchmusic.com forward slash podcast and find them all there if you like this episode please give it a rating or a review I'd very much appreciate hearing your thoughts if you want to get in touch with me as always you can email me at tlhutchmusic at gmail.com or find me on social media at tlhutchmusic thanks very much and I'll see you at the next one